to the RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is John Van Trieste. And the destination Taipei, 1921. Welcome to 1921. It's a time of self-determination, Bolshevism, and jazz. Einstein is going to win a Nobel Prize this year. In India, Gandhi is in the middle of a non-cooperation movement. In China, a communist party forms. And in Taipei, there's a doctor called Jiang Weishui. Taiwan has been under Japanese colonial rule for 26 years. The violent uprisings of the early years are mostly behind us. They've been replaced by a new kind of peaceful resistance that uses culture and political organization as its tools. Jiang Weishui is a central figure in this nonviolent movement, and in 1921, he helps found the Taiwan Cultural Association. It might not sound like much, but it's the starting point for a dramatic decade filled with arrests and struggles for Taiwan. Today, we're looking back at Jiang and the movements he helped lead. Our guide to the Taiwan of the 1920s is doctor, author, and cultural critic Lin Hengzhe, who's written extensively about the period. Jiang had long been a man of political passions. In medical school, he'd hatched some outlandish assassination plots with classmates. But by 1921, Jiang had turned his attentions to Taiwanese home rule and Taiwanese self-improvement. He never stopped being a doctor. You can see it in one of his best-known works, Bedside Examination. It isn't a great work of literature. It's a patient file, and Taiwan is the patient. His diagnosis? A deficiency of knowledge. Taiwanese people need access to education and culture, and Jiang has also devised a prescription, the Taiwan Cultural Association. Jiang and his associates are on a mission to bring about a Taiwanese enlightenment. Dr. Lin tells us more. He think uh, the Taiwanese people become second-class citizens because uh, our Taiwanese culture still cannot compare with Japanese culture. So he want to promote uh, culture. He want to learn from Western culture renaissance. He want to elevate the Taiwan culture labor. By 1923, things are starting to look good. The association has set up branches all over Taiwan, and their projects include public libraries of newspapers and magazines. In time, titles will come to include Taiwan Minpo, the first Taiwanese-run newspaper. But books and newspapers weren't his only tools. Jiang also made sure that Taiwan's intellectuals spoke directly to Taiwan's people. He also give the people lecture. Lecture is very popular. One year sometimes had more than three, uh, 300 lecture. People is uh, very enthusiastic. More than 100,000 audience within one year. Oh, he lecture about Taiwan history, some of Taiwan culture, and uh, some political reform idea. I think uh, most of people, they understand, yeah. But uh, like a first uh, PhD from USA, he is a uh, Dean Mao 1929, he got a PhD from Columbia University. When he come to Taiwan, yeah, he lectured uh, some of the Western culture, Western civilization, you know. Another one, Chen Xing, he also get the first MBA from Columbia University. He talk about cultural reform and economical development. 
topics that Jiang himself spoke about included public sanitation. Up to a hundred thousand people a year. It was a different world. For all the PhDs Taiwan has today, it's hard to imagine getting a packed house at a Saturday night lecture now. But in 1923, when the talks begin, the lecturers are paraded in like rock stars. The wary authorities make sure that police are never far away from the talks. That same year, the Culture Association starts sending out theater troops and even a silent movie corps to bring a new kind of culture to the masses. The world Jiang lived in was swirling with events and ideas, and as a man of letters, Jiang was certainly up to date on both. But Dr. Lin says that one influence on Jiang's thought stands out. That was fellow Culture Association founder Lin Xiantang. Lin had met with Chinese revolutionary Liang Qichao, and he walked away from the meeting with some ideas that he passes on to Jiang Weishui. One is that China is too weak and divided to help Taiwan face up to Japan. Another is the need for a Taiwanese parliament and a settlement like the one that's just won Ireland its independence. And the third is the need for the resistance movement to be non-violent. Most influence it come from Lin Xiantang. He go to Japan. He meet the Chinese peaceful revolutionary Liang Qichao, and Liang Qichao tell him. China is in chaos. You know we cannot help Taiwanese revolution. Yeah, you should help yourself and save your own fate. Establish the new parliament. Keep up the force. Use the peaceful means to get them self independent. Jiang Weishui and Lin Xiantang were both men of action. By 1923, Liang Qichao's ideas of non-violent resistance and a Taiwanese parliament were already well in motion. Lin Xiantang had presented the Imperial Japanese Diet with the first petition for a Taiwanese parliament. It was the first of many petitions, all delivered peacefully. But being peaceful did not mean being subtle. We now turn from the cultural to the political side of Jiang Weishui's career. In 1923, the colonial authorities in Taiwan have rejected Jiang's latest request to set up an association promoting a Taiwanese parliament. It's January. And an undeterred Jiang is now on his way to Tokyo, where a third petition to the Diet is going to be presented. The Taiwanese community in Tokyo is out marching, and to drive their message home, they've brought in Taiwan's first pilot, Xie Wenda, to drop thousands and thousands of leaflets on Tokyo from a plane called the Taipei. In the end, the Taiwanese don't get their parliament, but Jiang Weishui's Parliament Association finally gets a green light. This is the year that Jiang's career will take a turn. Back in Taiwan, Jiang is about to pull off a stunt of his own, one that will land him in jail. It's the middle of April, springtime, and Japan's crown prince, the future emperor Hirohito, is coming to inspect Taiwan. Jiang Weishui has a very special welcome prepared for him. The crown prince's route through Taipei takes him past the hospital that Jiang Weishui has founded. Out front, Jiang has hung up a welcome banner, sort of. The welcome is written in small print, while the name of the association for a Taiwanese parliament sits next to it in big characters. The font size is enough to convey to everyone that the welcome is a sarcastic one. To make sure that no one misses the banner, Jiang sets off welcoming firecrackers directly below as the crown prince passes by. 
It's a major embarrassment to the colonial government. Jiang spends the rest of the crown prince's visit in detention. In December the same year, the colonial government arrests Jiang again in a sweep on members of the Taiwan Parliament Association. Dr. Lin says that this arrest gave Jiang a break from his speaking and organizing. That break would turn out to be important. He arrested because uh, Taiwan needs intellectual movement become strong and uh, strong. So Japanese government tried to prohibit them. Yeah, so they arrested uh, 50 or 60 people. Jiang Weishui, he punished about four months. He put in the jail two times, and he bring about more than 200 books. At first, he planned, after graduate from medical school, he went to Japan to enter the very famous university to study political and economy. But after he put in jail, he read more than 200 books, he said, I already graduated university. Before he put in jail, when he gave the lecture, most of them about public health, about medical knowledge. But after he put in the jail, he can talk about culture, he can talk about political, he can talk about economy, sociology, almost everything. Jiang is arrested many more times during his life, especially when any member of the Japanese imperial family is in town. But this first arrest, in 1923, has changed his focus. In our next episode, we'll be hearing about Jiang's next move. It was to be a first in Taiwan's history, if only a symbolic one. We'll also hear Dr. Lin talk about Jiang Weishui's legacy, the way he's been portrayed under subsequent governments, and what kind of nationalist he was. I am John Van Trieste, and I'll see you on our next 